It is so good to see all of you on this very chilly, frigid Sunday morning. And where else would you want to be, right? You're like home <laughs> under a blanket, right? So, all right, see what we can do to get you out of here, get you home so you can be nice and warm. But I do believe God's word is, is uh, going to meet us where we are and is going to deal with us the way that the Holy Spirit needs to deal with all of us this morning. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. You'll be finding your place there. Rich has prayed us in, so we are ready to roll. As we get back into Colossians, it's been a while, but it's been a, a needful detour, we could put it that way. So as we know by now, in these first two chapters, what Paul has been doing in Colossians is laying a doctrinal foundation uh, for us in terms of who we are in Christ, and he did so to reprove the heretical teachings of the Gnostics, which we saw very clearly in, first, in, in chapters 1 and 2, which attacked the person of Jesus Christ and attacked our position in Christ as believers. And so after laying that foundation, Paul uses chapter 3 to give us the practical implications of that. In other words, now that we have this foundation, what does that mean in our lives day to day? Boots on the ground, so to speak. What do we do with that? In other words, because of those doctrinal realities, we must have a right response to them. And the opening verse of chapter 1 deals with this. Now, this is very urgent because the first four verses that we're going to look at today in chapter 3, they essentially laid the foundation for the rest of the chapter. In other words, like you have to get these four verses and these four basic instructions that we're going to glean from these first four verses, because if you don't get these, and let me tell you where we're going to be going in the coming weeks after we get past, I mean, what, what we're going to see today is massive enough, but believe me, it's only going to intensify. But you have no shot. I have no shot to get everything that God would have me to get for you to get everything to have you to get if you don't get these first four verses down. They're paramount. Got to get these. And this is where we glean these basic instructions, beginning in verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, one of the problems that we have, and one of the things that works against us in a, in a section of scripture like this, is our familiarity with it. Okay, I've read these verses hundreds of times. I, I already know what that says, so what you got? <laughs> and if you're, if you're ever operating from that perspective, you've already positioned yourself for spiritual failure. Never assume that the Holy Spirit does not have work or business to do with you just because you are considering a familiar text. You will only cheat yourself. But the first basic instruction that we see very clearly from verse 1 is simply seek. 
Okay? These are all going to be alliterated. All start with S. Seek. We understand from chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul taught us that we were buried with Christ in baptism. So when Paul said, if ye then be risen with Christ, he was saying, since you've been risen with Christ. Because we have. He's already taught us that in the previous chapter. We have been risen with Christ. So since we've been risen with Christ, in very simple and emphatic fashion, Paul told us to do what? Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. This is very, very important. For us to get this, we have to understand this. According to Paul, it is position that drives our seeking. Position drives our seeking. And there are two key points about position. Number one is Christ's position. Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, which is above. That's his position, and that is in the present tense. Historically, when a person of great authority placed someone at their right hand, it meant that the person was equal in honor and was recognized as possessing the same amount of dignity, power, and authority. I mean, this was, and it is, a position of great power and honor. And that's Christ's position. Consider Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 23 which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church." which is his body, the fullness of him, that filleth all in all. Now, everything that we just read about the Lord Jesus Christ is also true of God the Father. So now, this is punctuating for you and I just the importance and the significance of the position of Christ at the right hand of God the Father. This is a very big thing. But then we have to consider our position as believers. Paul told us that We are, present tense, risen with Christ. So our position is upward. We're risen with him. Our position is upward. This is important. In the Old Testament, in the the book of Deuteronomy, particularly chapter 28, one of the things that is very clear to us is that God absolutely wanted Israel to thrive. He wanted them to win spiritually. He wanted them to thrive. As a matter of fact, you read there in that great chapter, 28, that their position was to be above only. They were not to be below. That was their rightful place as the children of God. And that speaks to our spiritual position in Christ. We are risen with him. Our position is to be upward. In the previous chapter, he told us in verse 10 that we are what? We are complete in Christ. What a promise. What a truth. So positionally speaking, if we are risen with Christ and are complete in Christ, and Christ is sitting on the right hand of God, 
Where is your position as a believer in Jesus Christ? You better believe it. Positionally, the believer is also sitting at the right hand of God because they are in Christ. Complete in Christ. Let me say to you, brothers and sisters, if you, if you are that, you are a brother, you are a sister in Christ, oh my goodness, are you a winner? You're not a loser. You don't have to live a life of defeat and all that, right? Consider Ephesians 2.6, and hath raised us up together. You see our position, upward, and made us sit, there it is, together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So just as Christ is sitting in heaven on the right hand of God, we too are there right now. You say, no, I'm sitting at 40th and Walnut in the theater. Physically you are. But spiritually speaking, as clear as you can hear my voice right now, you as a believer in Jesus Christ right now, are sitting at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. Wow. Now, if that doesn't fire you up, get you excited, comfort your heart, soothe your mind, I don't know what else to say. So because of Christ's position and our position in him, our seeking is to be set there and there she is. I was wondering when she was going to make it over here. Very good. I'm all better now. So, happy Valentine's Day, love. So, right. we did, we, we had a pre-celebration uh, Valentine's dinner last night. So, it was a wonderful evening. Good time. So, but here's what we have to work through. And, and again, this is what I'm saying. We, we, have, we have read through Colossians chapter 3, and we read that, and go, okay, I get it. Seek those things above. Okay, but what are those things? What are those things that we should be seeking? Let's see what the Bible has to say. Number one, we are to seek a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we are to be seeking first. Uh, Psalm 105, verse 4, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. That's great that you are familiar with this text, but are you seeking the Lord? Are you seeking his face forevermore? Are you? And we cannot get to God without going through his son, the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've Seeing Christ and his heavenly position are what clearly drive our seeking. That is the thrust of it. So if you missed any of the last two weeks, I implore you, please get online and get those two weeks about deeper. You've got to do that. Because this very point right here is a major emphasis for us individually and collectively as a class this year in terms of us going deeper in our walk with Christ. I want you to be so burdened and so determined to go deeper in Christ that 
you are repulsed at the thought of staying where you are. I want that to be sickening to you. I, I, I want it to be despicable to think that a year from now you can be exactly who you are and be exactly where you are. I, I, I want you to have a burden that says, Lord, I've got to seek you. I've got to know you more. I've got to be closer to you. I've got to please you more. I've got to worship you with my life. Lord, I'm done with the excuses. I'm done with the up and down, the in and out. I only want to know you more, deeper. Philippians 3.20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look, seek, for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Our conversation represents our position, and our looking represents who we should be seeking, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Two, we are to seek eternal rewards. If you remember, in chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul taught us that God has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and light. In other words, when God saved us, when we got saved, God qualified us to participate in the eternal rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Praise God. Matthew 6, 19 tells us, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there, your heart be all, there will your heart be also. Let me just tell you, the treasures of this world, in terms of what they offer you, compared to the treasures of heaven, the treasures of this world are fraudulent at best. At best, they're fraudulent. The finest of what the world can offer you, the finest car, the finest house, the largest salary, fame, and all of that, it's trash compared to what you can lay up in heaven. And that's what we are to be seeking as believers. Three, we are to be seeking the things of the kingdom. In chapter 1, verse 13 of Colossians, Paul taught at salvation, we were translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 6, 33, familiar passage, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We know this is a spiritual kingdom in which Christ is the king of that kingdom. But what things should we be seeking here in this spiritual kingdom of God? Well, you got a clue already in Matthew 6.33, but it's clarified in Romans 14.17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Meat and drink are 
the physical or earthly things of this world that we're not to seek. We don't seek those things. We seek righteousness, we seek peace, we seek joy in the Holy Ghost, all of which are found and only found and experienced in a deeper walk with Christ. So that's what I'm saying. We can gloss over these things. Go, okay, yeah, I've, I've read that. I know that. Okay, but let me ask you, are you living a righteous life? Are you at peace? Do you have joy? <laughs> if the answer is no, I don't mean to be offensive or cold or nasty, but I don't care what you know. What are you living? It's the issue. Righteousness, peace, joy. For we are to seek the souls of men. Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. One of the areas of focus for us that we talked about and our deeper focus was going deeper in fruit. And this point speaks precisely to that. Jesus would make his disciples into fishers of men, which is why he himself came. So if that is why he came, and he told the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, what does that say to us in terms of what we should be seeking? We should be seeking the souls of men. Actively. And those that we catch will be with Christ like us for eternity. They, too, will be sitting at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. And five, we are to seek the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16 Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help and time of need. The throne of grace is the throne of God. And praise the Lord. I mean, that, again, it's the simple things of Scripture that I can't fit into my head. How does God, who is only holy, who is only light, who is only righteous, who is only magnificent and marvelous and high and exalted and wonderful and glorious and majestic and incredible. How does God permit a guy like me into his presence? <laughs> I can, I mean, you understand in the Old Testament, particularly with the pagan kings, do you understand that you could not just march into their presence? You could try that if you had a death wish. But because of our position in Christ, we can, according to Scripture, not just come, but we can come boldly. Well, is it because we're big and bad and special? No, it's because our Savior is. And we're in him, which grants us direct access. Is, I mean, this is, this is peanuts compared to what we're talking about here, but when we were on Long Island, we 
some of the players from the Jets, the New York Jets, came to the church. And, and so during uh, different events, whether it be a practice or a game, I would get these passes where I'm literally on the field. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to the coaches yell and say things I can't repeat here. And, but just because of who I knew, I, Brett Favre was playing for the Jets, and he's out there. I mean, the guy, he could still zip it, man. That guy still had an arm in his 40s. Crazy. But just because of who I knew. Well, it's because of who we know. We know Christ. That we get to come into the very presence of God. It's amazing. Right now, we are seeking the throne of grace for Kadidra. We're seeking the throne for Colton. We're seeking the throne for baby Juliana. We're seeking the throne for Mark Trotter. We're seeking the throne. Here's the question. Do these five things accurately reflect what you're seeking? Does your life say amen to these five things? This is what I'm saying. The fact that we know Colossians chapter 3, and we've read that many, many times, been there and done that, is this your spiritual reality? Can God look into your heart, into your life, and say, yes? Because these are the things that really matter. These are the things that count. These are things that last And the answer to that question is determined by what we read in verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. So the second basic instruction is simply set. Like, this is so easy. I mean, Gabriel could do this outline. It's your kids, right? How old is Gabriel? Six. He could could do this outline, right? It's that simple. The Word of God just naturally outlines itself. I used to wonder... Why does the word of God say affection, not affections, plural? Why is it singular? And everything in us wants to subtly, with only the best intentions, clean it up. And just when we're teaching it, just just a little slip of the tongue and just say affections and just keep going. And it's our way of just humbly, in our estimation, which is not humble, it's prideful, believe me. But in our estimation, we're being so humble, and, but, but, but just to clean it up a little bit and affections. That's not what it says. Believe me, the King James translators checked every passage at least 14 times, and it didn't change to affections. Most modern versions change it to mind instead of affection. The reality is the word refers to both. It refers to both the heart and the mind. That's the issue which is why the King James translators translated it as affection and not affections, because affections would convey that it is the heart only, which is not correct. It is the heart and the mind, not just the heart. We see an example of this in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 19. Now set your heart and your soul affection. To seek the Lord your God, arise therefore, and build ye the sanctuary of the the Lord your God, to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord, 
and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord. This word soul that we just read, it is translated mind 11 times in your Old Testament. That's the point. Heart and mind represent one person, which is why it is also, which is why affection is singular, because it is pointing to one person, their heart and their mind. So we need to set our mind and our heart on things above, not on the earth. We're going to see affection again in verse five here in, a, in, in, in next week in terms of of. of it being or, or referring to an irregular passion where it's clear in that context that that's what we're dealing with. And we know that because a different Greek word was used to translate affection in verse five. We'll talk more about that when we get there. Now, what we seek is determined by what we have set our mind and heart to. So if your mind and your heart are set on the things on the earth, then you will not seek those five things. That will be of no interest to you whatsoever because you're earthly. Now, what we're about to look at is incredibly simple but often forsaken by many, and I would imagine some in this room. But these next two verses that we're going to examine have everything to do with where your affection is set. Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The command here is to guard or protect your heart. That's important. Why is that important? Because out of it are the issues of life, your heart. In other words, whatever is flowing out of your life is where your life is going. That's why it's so critical to keep your heart with all diligence. Ephesians 4.23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I absolutely love the meaning of this word, renew or renewed. It means to renovate. How many of you have ever renovated a house? The Kurjowski's. Yeah, you guys, that, that was an ordeal, huh? Did your house look similar, or was it completely different? Completely different, right? We only saw the finished product, so I didn't see it before. It was nicely done, by the way. Guy, definitely, you've gutted your whole house, right, I, I believe? Yeah. When you renovate something, you're not just making a tweak or a, a, a little adjustment. No, 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 you are completely... You're gutting stuff out. I mean, it is a new thing when you're done. This is what the Lord would have you and I to do daily. Well, how do I do that? I intentionally place my feet, place myself at the feet of Jesus, and I open his word day in and day out, and I open my heart, and I open my mind, and I open my ears, and I open my eyes and I receive what the Holy Spirit says to me from the Word of God, and as I do that, day in and day out, my mind is being renovated. It's nothing like it was a year ago, 
two years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, why is it that I'm still dealing with the same stuff I was dealing with a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? It's because your mind is the same. It's not being renovated. The word of, listen, the word of God will gut your mind. You understand that? It will gut your mind. It will gut the junk out, the filth out, all of it. It will gut it out. If you will just position yourself before it. Listen. An unguarded heart and an unrenewed mind is reflective of a carnal believer or an unbeliever. If you've got an unguarded heart, an unrenewed mind, you are carnal at best, if not unsaved. And the combination of those two never lead to setting our affection on things above. Here's what you got to understand. <laughs> an unguarded heart and an unrenewed mind is the devil's playground. Oh my goodness. The place you are giving him. When your heart and your mind are unguarded and unrenewed. Some of us are absolutely, listen, unbridled in our thoughts and feelings. Unbridled. Our, our thoughts and our feelings are just all over the place. There is no restraint whatsoever. We make space and allowance for any and everything, emotionally, mentally. I mean, it is just, again, Satan says, I love this playground. Man, look at all the different rides. Look at all the different things I get to do here. You've got to keep your heart. You've got to renew your mind. Our life, when we don't do that, it's like an earthly roller coaster. Where we're just, I mean, the swings are vast. Where we're not keeping the gate of our heart, we're not keeping the gate of our mind. You know what a gate is? A gate is a point of controlled access. Which means... Nothing or no one can just come and go at will. It's being patrolled. See, when you're guarding your heart, when you're keeping your heart and you're renewing your mind, guess what you do now? You now regulate the gates of your heart and your mind. So not anything can just come in and have its way and all of that. This is why the Bible tells you in Proverbs 25, 28, that the person who doesn't rule their own spirit is like a city that's broken down and without walls. 
when you're not governing yourself, which you are responsible for in Christ, and you can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, and when you are being governed by the Spirit of God, there are nine traits that tell you what that looks like. Not in, those, not in that list is an unguarded heart and an unrenewed mind. It's not a person who is unbridled emotionally or mentally. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. That is someone who is carnal and is being governed by their flesh. We must set our affection on and in the Word of God. As you're seeing, these all build on one another. I've got to hustle and finish here. Look at verse 3. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We learned in the previous chapter that our old man was buried with Christ in baptism, chapter 2, verse 12. So we are not that person any longer, for ye are, present tense, dead. Ye are dead. If you are in Christ, the old man is dead. So here's our third basic instruction, and it is settle. Settle. We must settle our identity, who we are and who we're not anymore. I'm afraid that too many, in, too many in Christ have failed to do this, and this is the message of Romans chapters 6 and 7 that speak emphatically about who we are in Christ, that we are dead to the old man, but I want you to notice the rest of what Paul said, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And then look at the opening in verse 4, when Christ, who is our life. Why did Paul say that? Because if we are in Christ, our life is hid with Christ in God, and Christ is our life. In other words, our new life, listen, is synonymous with Christ himself. Okay, I, I can teach that. How do I explain that? I just believe it. Your new life is synonymous with Christ himself. Is this book incredible or what? Look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, more on this later. But look down in verses 10 and 11. And have put on the new man, Christ, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, Christ, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. That's where this is coming from. That's why our affection and our seeking are to be above, because that is where our life is. Our life is not in this flesh. Our life is not in this world Christ is our life. 
And he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, which is where we are. And that's where our focus has to be. Can I just tell you, there isn't, I don't know if there's 20 minutes in a day for me now where I'm not thinking about Mark Trotter. He's my brother, he's a big brother, he's a good friend. But can I tell you, if, if, if this is it for Mark Trotter, if, if, if his time is coming to a close on this earth, I'm just a little jealous. He gets to go home. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Pardon my grammar. That ain't bad, y'all. I did say y'all. I said ain't, too. Ain't and y'all in the same sentence. How about that? Now, if we're getting what the scriptures are teaching here, oh my goodness, have we just obliterated the erroneous teaching that a believer, someone in Christ, Christ is their life, we have just obliterated the erroneous teaching that a believer can lose their salvation, haven't we? We've taken an A-bomb to it. If your life is hid with Christ and God, and Christ is your life, how could you possibly lose your salvation? It's hid in Christ, in God. It's not even your life anymore. It's his life. So in order for you to lose your salvation as a believer, that would mean that, listen, Christ would have to lose his life. The risen Christ. I don't think that's going to happen. As a matter of fact, I know it's an impossibility. I am convinced that the root of the vast majority of our struggles is because we have not settled who we are. We think our life is what we can see, touch, and feel. It's this flesh which has fallen. We think our life is, is this world that we live in which is passing away. Until we agree with God, until we settle this identity issue, we're going to perpetually struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle. Finally, verse 4. I'm almost done, I promise. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Paul had the rapture in view here. And he wrote about it with great certainty. Look at it again. When Christ, who is our life, shall, not might appear. It's coming. It's a reality. Soon. We seek, we set, we settle, and we stand by. We stand by. When we're talking about standing by, we're referring to, you ready? Being ready to travel. Any believers in the house ready to travel? If we're talking about the rapture, we're, we're talking about getting ready to travel, y'all. I said it twice today. It's a record. I don't know about you, but... When I know I'm going to travel, when I know I'm taking a trip, especially as it gets closer, what do I do? 
I start getting ready for it, right? I start making arrangements. I start packing all those things. I also get very sick emotionally because of knowing I'm going to leave my family for a stretch of time. That's always a challenge for me. But listen very carefully. Our flight is coming very soon. We better be on standby. I mean, it's coming soon, y'all. Three times. I'm on a roll. Here's my question. Are you on standby? Are you on standby? Are you ready to get on board? It's going to be quick. I mean, this is going to be the quickest flight of your life. No turbulence. Just like that. Father, I want to thank you for your word. It is only good. I do believe, God, that you have spoken to us today. And God, I just ask that you would seal to our hearts the things that we need to take away from these first four verses, God, because they're so critical to where we're going in the rest of the chapter. In Jesus' name, amen.